This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. This week, Labour leader Chris Hipkins outlined what he said were the values of a government he would lead if re-elected. NBR's political editor Brent Edwards was at his speech. He's with us now. So Brent, his speech talked about unity, but wasn't it a bit inflammatory and divisive? Well, it was in a sense. I mean, he was he was talking about how, yeah, he wanted to lead a government of unity and that, that, that New Zealand had this record of people pulling together and the like. But then he really, really focused on the opposition parties to to point out issues to, um, to do with... Uh, or he raised the issue of abortion, um, kind of sort of suggesting that maybe if there was a change of government, women's right to choose would be at risk, obviously because he points to a few... National Party members who are quite conservative on that issue. Um, and Christopher Luxon himself is on record as personally um, being opposed to abortion, but he has, um, the National Party leader has repeatedly said, though, that as Prime Minister he would not make any change in that area. But it's just an area for um, Chris Hipkins to exploit. Um, obviously, the issues around um, co governance and approach to Māori, and he really said that he was fully supportive of the Māori Health Authority, again, using that pointing to some comments that ACT leader David Seymour has made around those issues and the kind of poorly received, you know, which was a poor joke when he was talking about, when Seymour was talking about the Ministry of Pacific Peoples and, you know, made a reference to Guy Fawkes. And then Winston Peters, New Zealand First Leader, you know, comments he's made about trans people. So pulling that all together and saying that, you know, a Labour government would be about unity and would be looking after all those people, wouldn't be going after them, but that the opposition parties would. And we're talking about Labour without New Zealand First. Yeah, yeah. well, the other thing that he used in that speech was to then, obviously, to clearly rule out and say that there was no way that Labour would do a deal with New Zealand First. Mm. I mean, Winston Peters had already signalled that for some time, that he didn't want to do a deal, although he's always said it with this Labour government, so it kind of probably left a little bit of wriggle room. But, but yeah, but so Hipkins is... And part of that, too, is, I guess, a bit of um, political... Um, strategy or, or, or tactic in the sense that it pushes it back onto Christopher Luxon and Luxon's been under some pressure from the media this week about well will he rule out Winston Peters or not and he I mean he's, he's not ruling him out and he's not ruling him in at the moment. What's Hipkins hoping to achieve by this? Look I think what what Hipkins is hoping to achieve is that to really make the lines of difference between Labour in particular and National, mm. but also ACT, New Zealand First, and, and the difference between what a Labour-led government, which would obviously clearly likely involve both the Greens and Te Party Māori, what that would look like as opposed to... And I think he knows that there is a, a wavering level. I mean, obviously from the polls, Labour's not been doing well um, mm. lately, and he knows, I think, that there's a wavering degree of support, even from what you, you might consider our Labour supporters. So it was a really clear message, I guess, to those people who might have been thinking twice about um, voting for Labour, that, you know, Labour stood with them. And it was interesting that on, this is social media, OK, so it doesn't reflect, but, um, you know, there were a few sort of people who obviously come from a left-wing background on social media who've been bagging Chris Hipkins over the last few months and who responded very, very positively to that speech. Will this strategy work? Well, uh, 
we'll have to wait until election day. Uh, but but certainly, I think you know he, what he's trying to do is to say to people, give them reason to vote for Labor. You know, if they were wavering, if they you know, if, and I think there's probably a particular worry for Labor that some of its own supporters, people who would vote Labor rather than voting for another party, might just stay home because they feel disappointed by this government. And so I think it was very much a clear message to them that they need to get out and vote Labour because the alternative is worse. That, that's the line he's running anyway. Can you now see some clear differences between Labour and National? Oh, I think there are some you know, some clear differences that have emerged. Um, and, and there are some clear differences around, you know, for instance, on those sorts of issues around co-governance. I mean, Nationalists said it would get rid of it. You know, obviously it's going to scrap three waters. Uh, it doesn't support the, the Maori Health Authority, I think. I mean, it, likely a National Act government would get rid of that. So on those sorts of issues, um, very clear differences. And, I mean, you know, now this week we've had, you know, National's tax policy and some much, much clearer clear differences around tax and government spending. So, you know, I think one thing from it all is that, you know, voters, you know, will much will have a very a reasonably clear idea about the differences between the two major parties and, and also then between those other third parties that, you know, may or may not form part of the next government. Brent Edwards, thank you. NBR are offering a free trial to newcomers. See what all the fuss is about on our flagship website, nbr.co.nz. The first time NBR columnist Bridget Morton met New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters, he nodded off on stage at her seventh form prize-giving. But she doesn't rule him out making it back into Parliament at this year's election and joins me now. Um, so... I suppose, what were you, 17, 18? <laughs> yeah, Politi- not... <laughs> political leader, your local MP, I presume. <laughs> yeah, I was 18. I was quite a nerdy politics uh, teenager at that age even, so it was quite, you know, interesting to me to see my local MP. I thought at the time, you know, that he was kind of old and only, you know, was only attractive to voters of a certain vintage, let's say. And But what's been proven me wrong, and I think proven a lot of people wrong, is that he has got the ability to capture more and more voters all the time and you know this whole sort of never write off Winston um, has never rung more true than this election. But, but I mean isn't his great advantage as you say he attracts support from older voters as he did and I don't know how many years ago we're talking now that you were, <laughs> you know, was it just yesterday but but um, those older voters that cohort of older voters just keeps on getting larger and larger. Exactly. <laughs> but also, when to try to put it politely in my column, the older voters that I was referring to, you know, people with the blue rinse grades that are over 80 when I was in seventh form, that is a good sort of 20 years ago, they're actually not, you know, voting anymore. So there's new voters that he's managed to attract. And you can look at his audiences at those public meetings and think they're all grey-haired, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, Brent. But, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but it does mean that he's actually managing to capture the topics that mean something to more and more generations of voters as they come through. And I think that just shows that he's actually a very talented politician, whether you agree with him or not. And actually, he also, you know, I've been to a few New Zealand First um, Party conferences, not recently, but there were always young people there too. He's, and I know talking to some young people, they quite like him because they think he's disruptive, um, gives it to authority, that kind of thing. So that... He, he, he does have an appeal that goes beyond just that older age group. Yeah, and I think, you know, as the young kids call him, he's got the riz, which is, means he's got charisma. And that, I think, translates across multiple generations. It's just that what he chooses necessarily is his policies, 
don't always go across multiple generations. But if you were, for instance, Christopher Luxon, would you be looking forward to the possibility that you might have to deal with Winston Peters after the election? No. <laughs> I think that's the king, though. Because he's been around so long and he's so wiry and he knows so much, he also knows how to get what just what he wants and he's unbashed about it. He's really happy to go after that. Therefore, negotiations are hard. We've just got to remember to, you know, 2017 to look at how hard and tough that can be. And it also means once you're in government, it's no easy ride either. He doesn't give you his supply votes for nothing. Although this time it will be different because if, if we do get into and let, let's start we're talking about a hypothetical situation at the moment because, as he repeatedly tells us, and he's right, you know, we don't know what's going to happen until the votes have been cast. But if we're in that situation, he's ruled out Labour, Labour's ruled him out, therefore, actually, he doesn't have that same level of negotiation that he's had in the past, does he? Well, yes. I think it's interesting here. I mean, particularly before Sunday, his ruling out of Labour was a sort of ruling out of this government. And it was a little bit blurry as to what he actually meant. And he clearly was giving himself wriggle room. I think for Labour, you know, ruling him out is trying to, you know, push and say, well, this is Nationals' problem now. But to be honest, if it comes down to whether or not they'll be in government or not, and they've got a real position, that they could do it perhaps even without the Greens not possible in current polling, I don't actually think necessarily that Chris Hipkins would stick to that. We've just seen Chris Hipkins throw almost everything else in the last six months at this election in the desperate bid to be re-elected. I think he's willing to do anything to continue on to be Prime Minister. So never say never when it comes to Winston. Absolutely. OK, well, um, Belinda, Bridget, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm old, you see. You know, I'm... Shouldn't laugh at me. But your last column, um, thank you for your um, contributions to MBR over the last however long it's been. <laughs> thank you. Know. Even though you can't remember my name. After all of these interviews, I can't remember your name. Winston will be watching and he's thinking he's got a vote there. I'm not sure he should be counting on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks very much. Well, the last week of the House in this term of government has ended. We have not. Ben Edwards and I will continue on your behalf to analyse policy and promises. We will not be censured or kicked out of this House. The Beehive Banter House, that is. And so we begin. Nat's new tax policy. Shifting brackets as well. Landlords can claim back interest. $14.6 billion. Savings plus $6.2 in new revenue, foreign buyer tax and more. And the regional fuel tax in Auckland, gone burger. Money talks, doesn't it, Brent? <laughs> is that a vote getter or not? Well, you know, I think, I think some... The answer's yes. Yeah, some news media organisations have been doing those vox pops where people say, oh, yeah, they'd like a bit of extra money. I mean, overall, it's, it's actually $14.6 but this is across four years. Yes. And, of course... A significant, you know, a reasonable part of that $14.6 billion is to removing interest deductibility. Yes. Bright line tests and stuff. So in terms Which will of help your, keep rents down. The wage earners, you know, they're arguing that I think a family, an average, you know, family on 120000 a year with kids. 254000 uh, uh, Yeah, 125 If you know, if, if their kids are of an age where they're eligible for the childcare subsidy and all that sort of stuff. So, yep. 
Um, so not everyone's going to get, you know, and it's up to. So there'll be a lot that will fall well short of that. Yeah, so, but those people vote for Labor anyway. Well, maybe, but, but it'll be all, it will be interesting to see how many people, it's, I guess, it will sway. Um, it's been clearly designed to attract votes by giving them money. No. And clearly designed in a way also to try and push off or deflect a tax from Labor that it's just for the wealthy and also deflect a tax that it's not affordable. Now, that debate, I think, is going to carry on right through the election Yeah, but they always knew it didn't. In fact, um, Willis was very clear, clear, wasn't she, Nicola Willis? When she came on, she said, now here's what Labor's going to say. They'll claim this, 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 and here's the answers. Yeah. She was very good, I yeah. thought. In, well, fact, the, the, in the, fact, I thought she was better than Luxon. Yeah, although the answers aren't entirely watertight because you, you, they, they're based, obviously, on forecasts, and let's face it, anyone's forecasts, including the government's forecasts, you take with a grain of salt these <laughs> yeah, days because well, they're virtually wrong the day after. Hey, we'll know soon with a little thing called prefu, which I think is going to be really bad, but anyway, yeah. And that will be wrong the day after it's been <laughs> delivered. Yes, that's, that's probably right. Um, Labor calls this a voodoo plan in the Greens. Well, it actually can't be that bad when the very first thing that happens is um, Genta from the Greens tweeted, oh, bus fees are going to go up for some. If that's the best she can come up with, it just shows you it must be a good plan. Well... Well, that is the thing that some. One of the things is that people get money on the one hand, but some of what they would have got on the other in terms of um, cheaper or free um, public transport for children will go. So there'll be a payment. But I think the Greens' main um, concern about that, and, and uh, co-leader James Shaw said he's angry, and that is the fact that angry. The he's been angry a lot lately. National will effectively, if you like, raid the emissions trading scheme and take um, about what half a billion dollars, I think, out of that to help fund the tax cuts. And so, yeah. and that means there'll be less money to spend on, certainly for what the Green Party would say are important initiatives around climate change. Um, also, um, for the business, and of course, let's face it, we are all about business here. 90-day uh, trials back and 10 days sick leave. Business will get give support there. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, Nationals always said the 90-day trials have come back. I mean, no, I know, but people have know. sort of kind of jumped on that in the last week, but it's always been the case. So, yep. I mean, and that's, yeah, business has always wanted the 90-day trials back. And, of course, one thing that hasn't been mentioned is they'll also scrap fair pay agreements, the fair pay agreements legislation. So That's on, why there was the big rush to try and get some through. Well, yeah, no, not, they're not going to get through for the election, but it, it, it's, it's one issue. Tax, one issue now, and on industrial relations, if you like, where there's some very clear differences between the parties, you know, National and Act, but also between the minor parties, the support parties. I'll get I'll get to that very soon. Meanwhile, Grant Robertson cuts four billion in costs because we simply a can't afford things, he says. But b um, four billion, Brent, nothing. What is four billion? It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. And c, how's he suddenly decided? Oh, a few weeks out from the election, better save some things. Well, I'm sorry. It's well, cynical play. Well, maybe cynical, but it's it's not that sudden because, in fact, they also um, announced four billion dollars worth of savings in the budget. And he, and to be fair to him, as, and as he's restated, he said in the he said then in his budget speech that the government would continue looking for more savings on top of that where it could. What's driven this? He's panicking. What's driven this is, of course. After we're talking about, he wanted to pull the rug out from underneath uh, the nets. Uh, well, well, one of the things maybe, but the other thing is that talking about forecasts, the Treasury's forecasts and the budget turned out to be wrong, and they're two billion dollars short. In last, the financial year just gone in terms of company tax mainly. Yeah, and that will flow through. So less money coming through, have to look for some cuts because he doesn't have as much money to spend, and he wants to keep 
the kind of government books online. Yes, uh, but here's what I think, because he knows Prefu's coming, he knows how bad it is, and then if he go, gets ahead of Prefu, which he's done, he can then turn around and say, yes, well, I saw this coming, which is why I moved. Well, he knows he knows things have turned back, Spin. that things are not as good as what were in the budget. We know that already. We, he doesn't. He won't know exactly what will be, will be in Prefu. He'll yet. have a fair idea. That's um, put together independently by the Treasury. But from all of the numbers that we've seen, yeah, anyone who's looking at the government accounts knows revenue is down. Well, revenue is down on the forecast. Therefore, mm. what you were looking to spend based on that revenue forecast, you're going to be a bit short now of money. So what do you do? You either borrow more or you cut spending. In fact, what I think will happen is that you will see that there's going to be some cuts in spending, but there will also still probably have to be some more borrowing. Actually, um let me ask you this, speaking of Labor, uh, how can you have both is the question. Speaking of Graham Robertson, the IMF came out this week saying we're at risk of falling into deeper recession. In fact, uh, from one of the bottom in expected growth rate in the entire OECD, I think it was, government needs to stop spending. I think there's only Gabon or one of the yeah. below us. Government needs to stop spending. This is the IMF. But what do the government do instead? They come out uh, this week with a press release saying, hey, great news, everybody. Fitch confirms our credit rating with Robertson saying the government's prudent and responsible financial management has been acknowledged. Further endorsement well, of how wonderful we are. Well, you can't have both. We're the second lowest well, in growth. Two things. I mean, Fitch has um, reconfirmed the rating at double A plus and and also if you read deeper our growth if is you crap. Read, if you read deeper into that IMF report, it too is relatively comfortable around the government's fiscal stance, but it's warning it can't loosen it. And and also when it comes to growth, yes its forecasts aren't great for growth. But it also makes the point from the middle of 2020. Not great. Oh, you know, just it makes the point that from the middle of 2020 to the end of 2022, New Zealand's growth was more than any other advanced economy. Yeah, and now everyone else is overtaking yeah. us, and we're going well, down, 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 well, down, down to the bottom of the world. Forecast, Grant. Forecast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right now, last week I forecast things were going to get a little bit dirty. Uh, in fact, it appears they didn't get dirty. They just got, as one commentator said, not dirty, negative. Uh, now, which is worse? Because the PM said he wanted a positive campaign. Here's what we got this week. Uh, this is quoting the Prime Minister. In fact, the National Act New Zealand First Coalition of Cuts, Chaos and Confusion hold a compilation of views that I think would alienate large sections of our society, not just economically, but to their sense of belonging too. They are a coalition of fear. The National Party has many MPs and candidates who want to roll back women's rights. Members of their caucus celebrated the US Supreme Court decision to roll back a woman's right to choose. Now, let's be fair here. So so do some Labour MPs. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think probably more Natty MPs than Labour. was a conscience vote. Uh, but also under Labour, they did brought, bring in legislation. It's negative. They have brought in legislation that, you know, made changes to abortion. You wanted a positive made, campaign. Made this easier. is a negative campaign. A negative. But, you know, I mean, we talk about negative. I mean, the National and Act have been talking about the coalition of chaos for months and months and months. Was that negative? Yeah, I mean, but Luxon so, didn't say he was going to do a positive one. Oh, uh, the Prime Minister said he was going oh, to do a positive yeah, look, one. Look, they're all... As he also pointed out, he was going to criticise the opposition. So, <laughs> I mean, what was interesting about that speech was he did start by saying he was going to lead a government of unity and he was all about unity, wasn't interested in division, wasn't interested in culture wars, and then actually then spent most of the speech talking about culture wars. And division. But, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but I think one thing from it, though, is that, and, you, and again, we talked about if you and then you throw on tax and industrial relations, yeah. you know, people can now get a they got they should have a fairly clear sense about what the differences are between the two parties, and then they can yeah. make their judgment about. Whether they're not going to make the judgment on that. I'm going to get to what they're going to make the judgment on okay. in just a tick. Mike, now speaking of people saying things mm, or not, Michael Wood, Privileges Committee, say sorry. So he went to the house. He went, 
Sorry, House. Uh, Nationals, Van der Molen. Censured. Ooh. Yep. Then Waititi kicked out of the house for 24 hours. So what? Yeah. It's um, like a, seriously? Oh, you're a naughty boy. Am I? Okay, I promise not to do it again. Well, the being censored is quite serious. I mean, Why? I mean, what happens? Well, well, obviously what's happened from that is that, you know, Christopher Lux, for instance, has removed all his spokesperson and said he will not be a minister in the next national so government. So what, he'll only earn so, what, about $200,000 well, a year? Well, so, so I mean, that is a bit of a, a kick in the face for him. Interesting on Michael Wood, actually, because there was the apology, but two things. It found that he should have declared his shareholdings in Auckland International Airport and in... Which we knew. Um, what was it, Genesis or the power company that he had mm. shares in. Should have done so. But, in fact, it found on the other issue about you know, his interests in the Pecunary. family trust, yep. that didn't need to be declared. And then, interestingly, both National MP Chris Bishop and ACT leader David Seymour in particular were highly critical of the Registrar Pecuniary Interests, Sir Martin Weavers, in his report. They thought it was over the top in terms of the way he described Wood. It was almost like them um, defending Michael Wood in a way. Yeah, I, and I, so think, was, I think you're misinterpreting. I, I can't see him defending Mr. Wood. Now, look, that <laughs> that brings uh, an end to three years of fun, hilarity and positive politics, and that's just from us. Not that lot who've now left the House for the last time, and a lot not to ever return to. And we're now in the hustings. Four weeks to advance voting. Are you excited? Are you excited? Uh, excited may not be the right word, but interested. And, and on that note, now, that, both Labor and National will officially launch their campaigns this weekend, Labor yes. on Saturday... Um, national on Sunday. It so seems like they already have. Um, but I think for a lot of people, probably the interesting thing with advanced voting, they I think they probably can't wait until the campaign gets out, will get over, and I think they'll vote early. I yeah. mean, I think by at the last right. election, then we don't need to w read, watch, or well, listen right. anymore. By the, in the last election, I think about seventy-five percent of voters voted before election day. Yeah. And so this is actually what puts the pressure on political parties because normally you did have a four-week campaign up to election day, but the four-week campaign starts now up until advanced voting. And, and some of the TV debates will be after most people have voted. I just wanted to say, now, here's the thing. I mean, I said, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Here's what I think. Is this coming down, well, I'm going to ask you, is this a choice now when we vote uh, between what's good for the country, i.e. left bloc, if you like, you know, it's best for the country, it's best for the future, it's best for our kids, or what's good for me, what's in it for me? And i tell you what I think the answer is. Good for me is always going to win. Because and I don't mean me, I just mean people generally. It's more money in my pocket, therefore I'll vote that way. Um, I don't think it's as simple as that, Grant. I, I didn't mean, give you a C choice. Because I think, for instance, you know, the Greens have already put out a lot of stuff saying, hold it, people on these incomes will actually be much, much better off under us than they will be under national. So there's still an argument on that side of politics. About yes, but the Greens hold, all talk about yeah, the world, and, the future, and, the blood. And Labor will also talk about what it's done already for people in terms of lifting minimum wage, increases in working for family tax credits, etc., and the sort of stuff it's done around. So there will still be an argument one side, but but you know they do say that voters vote with their back pocket. So yes. voters may well be determining oh, look, what's going to be best for me in terms of which party I vote for? Which is what I just said. That's what you just said. But but you seem to imply that the right, ACT and National, were all about what was best for you, as in being selfish, and that the mm. other parties were all about what's best for the future. Is that what I implied? Is that, is, that, is that what I implied? Well, it seemed to be what you were implying. Well, that has been... <laughs> 
I'll leave it to you. That is be high banter as we get down to the nitty-gritty of policy and also ask which policy is actually more than just an election policy designed to secure your vote. More analysis soon. Again, thank you for taking the time. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. With the election about six weeks away, the ACT Party appears poised to record an historic result. I'm joined by ACT leader David Seymour. So, I mean, looking at the polls, I mean, it looks like you'll probably have your biggest caucus yet after the election. Is that, you confident about that? Look, we've actually got a candidate who's an expert in poultry pathology, and he told me not to count chickens, it's a mugs game. <laughs> Good answer. But what's, what's your campaign over the next six weeks, what what's going to be the real basics basis of it? What what are you really going to focus on in terms of? Look, I, I think New Zealand is in a place where it, it doesn't just need a bit of trimming of the sails. You know, it doesn't need red for blue and Chris for Chris and you know carry on as ever. Uh, it requires a, a fundamental relook uh, at three different areas. One is the the quality and size and scope of government as a spender and a regulator. It's trying to do too much, it's tripping over itself, it's failing, it's putting too much red tape and regulation on people that are just trying to get by. Um, and that is gradually making New Zealand poorer. So that needs to be redone. Number two, the balance between crime and punishment, rights for people following the law, consequences for people who don't. You know, Jacinda's kindness has a dangerous side. Letting people out, being kind to criminals, hoping they'll be kind back, has demonstrably failed. It's time to actually toughen up the Sentencing Act, increase prison capacity, start rehabilitating people. I just want to lock them up before we do the rehab. And then we've got to get real about are we going down the rabbit hole with a treaty that divides us into two, or are we part of the modern world where we are interested in modern science, modern language, you know, and actually having a first world living standard? Because right now uh, we aren't going to achieve that if students are being taught that there's two types of science. I mean, obviously so you're talking about quite significant cuts in government spending, but at mm. the same time, for instance, your uh, justice policy talking about putting people in prison, what have you. Mm is going to carry a cost too. Mm. Um, what's the cost of that and how do you measure mm. that up against mm. the other moves to cut costs elsewhere? Mm. So if you look at any... Um if you look at any sort of business restructure, I mean, you, you start off with, here's a bunch of assets and a bunch of things we do, and that's not quite working for us, so it's going to be different. So it would be unusual if we just reduced. We're also going to add some things. Um, and in terms of prisons, uh, you know, it's about half a billion a year in additional funding. Um, but if you put it in sort of broader terms, we're talking about getting the prison capacity back to about 10,500. Um, the cost per person per day uh, to have 10,000 people locked up in New Zealand is a, just over a dollar a day. So if I said to you, uh, we've got a dollar a day plan for you and each of your family members to be safe because the bad people are off the street and the potentially bad people know they'll go to jail, it's one of the best deals you'll ever get. But I'm just wondering with that, how can we be certain that you'll only put, you know, if you like, the bad people, the people that might hurt us, so you mm. can argue public safety perspective, mm. behind because... Previously, we have had a pretty high imprisonment rate, I think mm. one of the higher mm. in the Western world, and mm. that actually didn't appear to do a lot 
either mm. in terms of necessarily dealing mm. with crime. Well, it's pretty clear. Um, the last five years we've done an enormous natural experiment where the government deliberately tried to reduce the prison population. It took a whole range of steps to do that. It succeeded. It reduced the amount of sentenced prisoners by around 40% in five years, exceeding Labor's own target of a 30% reduction over 15 years. And what's happened? Well, uh, a lot more people out on home detention, committing further crimes, tying up police time. People who are recidivist offenders feel they'll face no consequences, no rehabilitation just about going on uh, in the prison and the, the net result is lawlessness you know people saying I came here to be safe I'm running my dairy in Hamilton feels like I'm in Harlem I might go back to India now because it's not actually that much better here that's a literal conversation I've had you couldn't believe it in New Zealand in 2023 it's happening uh, similarly you know, get talked to school principals they're trying to bring teachers out you know they read the local New Zealand papers online and they think I don't know if I want to move to that city Auckland so you know this is a serious challenge international students you name it. Uh, we, have, we are facing a challenge with lawlessness that's making it harder to do business and it has occurred and got dramatically worse and, and measurably worse under the Justice Department's victimisation surveys since we've been trying to let people out of prison as government policy. Is it is a sense though that, I mean I think that, is, do you agree there seems to be a sense that overall crime is falling but violent crime is rising? Is that well, if you look at if you look at the um, you know the best measure we have is not police reporting because that that could mean the police are responsible, people have confidence in the police or whatever, as well as actual victimisation. The Ministry of Justice does actually helpfully go around uh, with a survey and ask people, "Have you been a victim of a crime?" Now, I, I recognise that any survey methodology has issues, but it's a pretty good methodology. They've done five cycles since 2018, and violence against people, violence against property, it's it's all got significant worse. It's got about 30% worse. Um, if you look at 100 people, how many crimes are reported? Five years ago it was about 60 crimes per 100 people, now it's 76 crimes per 100 people. Help me here, but I think that's a 29% increase. Okay, another area of spending, defence. Mm. You would increase defence spending to 2%, which is mm. almost double what it is now. Mm. Why, why is 2% Oh, sorry, 2% of GDP. Mm. Why is 2% of GDP a sort of magic figure for defence spending? Um, it's not magic, but it is the NATO standard. It is what the Australians spend. It's really f focused on making sure that New Zealand can be a credible partner in an ANZAC defence force. We should look to have an interoperable ANZAC defence force with ships, planes and all of the equipment that they have, not including nuclear submarines. And I think if New Zealand was to do that, then we would find that suddenly, instead of being essentially a pacifist state, which is almost what we are right now, uh, we would find that you had quite a significant ANZAC force in the South Pacific that can protect New Zealanders' fishing and other ocean interests, uh, look after our friends in the Pacific, who are really our front door or backyard, if you like, um, and also ensure that you know New Zealand's ability to be part of the democratic world is secure. So would, would you then change New Zealand's foreign policy t to what it's been over the last 30 years, I guess? No, I don't think we need to change our foreign policy. Uh, if we want to have an independent policy, then we need some ability to execute. Right now, we don't have that. Um, you know, New Zealand's never said that we're not part of an ANZAC alliance with Australia. We've always had a commitment in our defence white papers to defend Australia as they have a commitment to defend us. I'm just saying we've got to actually buy the hardware and train the people to do our end of the bargain because we're not right now. Let's talk tax. Nationals mm. announced its tax policy recently. Mm. I mean, clearly, if there's mm. a change of government, it's going to be a National Act government. You're going to have to work with them. Mm. But you're not happy with their policy. 
No, and, and that's healthy and natural. I mean, we're different parties for a reason. But what's clear is that you know, National are not interested in any kind of real change. Uh, their tax package, to put it in perspective, about $14 billion of tax reductions over four years. Uh, so let's call that $3.5 billion a year. Um, you know, Michael Cullen announced $10.6 billion uh, in 2008, also about $3.5 billion a year. Only difference is back then government was spending $60 billion, so relative to government expenditure, um, Michael Cullen was more than twice as ambitious as the National Party is today. And that's what is missing here is ambition. We are not in a state where New Zealand simply needs to trim the sails a bit and carry on as is with Chris versus Chris and Red versus Blue. We actually need some real change here and that's why ACT in our alternative budget show how we would restructure the tax system. Instead of having a complicated system with six rates, we'd have two. We'd give serious tax relief to the people who are working full-time supporting a family, the real breadwinners. You know, you can reduce taxes on people with earning 20K, but for the most part, you're reducing income for people who are uh, income taxes for people who are retired, for people who are not the main breadwinner, have another main earner in their household, they may be students for example, kids with a paper around, you know, that's hundreds of thousands, millions of people um, who aren't actually up against it in the way that main breadwinners are and those are the ones that we would cut taxes for in a substantial way and also make sure that New Zealand has a simpler, more competitive tax system and we would cut around $35 billion of wasteful spending. I mean, National are keeping all of Labor's wasteful spending, basically. That's not acceptable. So, so what would that do for businesses? For businesses, it would mean that you live in an environment where when you hire somebody, the tax wedge that comes out of their wage bill is smaller than it is now. Uh, it would mean that when you are trying to borrow money to accumulate, to, 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 do, to use as capital, um, you pay lower interest rates because you're not competing with the government's enormous wasteful spending and borrowing agenda which has just bloomed under Grant Robertson but would largely continue under the Nets. They're basically saying they do the same thing. Uh, so, you know, this, is, this means that businesses suddenly have an environment that's competitive and that's before you get into all our regulatory changes and so on. So what influence would you have then on national to be more ambitious? Well, I think I actually ask what, what influence will voters have. If they give their party vote to act, they're voting for someone who'll go into bat and say, not enough to trim the sails, need real change, need a serious rethink on the size and scope and quality of government spending, um, and to actually have no sacred cows. If whole departments are adding no value to the taxpayer, they're gone. If whole bureaucracies are adding no value, they're gone. Uh, if we were to do those things, I think we'd suddenly find ourselves uh, with a much more streamlined government that voters can monitor and hold accountable for the results it achieves and suddenly there's a little bit more space for those green shoots of entrepreneurship and innovation that New Zealand de desperately needs if we're going to survive as a first world nation. And that's been this week's Live from the Hive. Thanks for listening.